Welcome back to the 3rd and 15 podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy Timmerman, and the big week is here. Uh, we've actually just crossed into November. It's November 1st when I'm recording this. Probably be the second by the time you get a chance to listen. Uh, but uh, yesterday, October 31st on Halloween, um, the first college football playoff rankings of the 2023 season came out. Always a big day, always a fun day. You know, we can use the uh, traditional polls as a kind of a guide. Usually the the college football playoff poll doesn't stray too far from the top the other top 25 rankings. You'll see a couple of spots here and there. Uh, obviously a very if you've seen the rankings, you know there's a very big spot that it differs, but it really doesn't differ by much. Um Generally speaking, the four teams that are the top four in the other polls are probably the same top four teams you're going to see in the college football playoff rankings, just maybe in a slightly different order. But it's still nice to see and get confirmation of what we've been thinking. The other key distinction, and, and people get lost in the sauce sometimes when they compare the different polls, um, the methodology is very different between the, the different polls. You know, when you're talking about the AP poll, that's sports writers, that's reporters, journalists, uh, members of the college football media that are voting in that poll. AP members, members of the Associated Press are voting um, in that poll. But they're not sitting down together. It's a bunch of guys I have voted a few times in the South Carolina Press poll for high school football. Uh, when I was working over there, I didn't sit down and talk with other reporters about their vote. I voted on my own. Uh, and back in the day, back before modern media, where you have a chance, where all these reporters, if they wanted to, could watch as many games as they've got at times to watch, or at least, especially if you're just talking about pieces of games, you know, um, Maybe we skip blowouts. Maybe we skip games that were kind of boring for the, through the first three quarters and we just watched the fourth quarter. Um, things like that. Back in the day, there was no way for these reporters to see all these teams. They were just looking at box scores and, and uh, art, news articles and things like that. Um, so it was very important to get the representation, representation across the country. And we still see this variation in things like high school polls and in the uh, FCS polls. Um, but that's kind of it is. They're not talking. They're not sitting down and conversing and coming up with a, a poll. They're, it's a bunch of different media outlets across the country have representatives that vote. Coaches poll is similar. Except it's coaches. Well, it's not coaches. It's interns. It's uh, directors of football operations. I, w- I would guess that some of the coaches actually fill out their their ballot. But for the most part, it's assistants and things like that. Um, and so you'll hear people when we're talking about those traditional polls going, well, I just don't understand why, you know... Um, Rutgers can't get any respect, or Liberty, or Fresno State, or, or one of these teams. Why Arizona? I mean, gosh, they they look at what they've done. They should be in the poll. But you know, in this case, in the case of the AP poll, we got forty eight plus nine is fifty seven. Sixty. There are sixty three voters across the country. 
and that, that all have different ways of deciding who they're voting for. They all have different biases. They all have different, you know, biases. How could the media be biased? We're all biased. Um, we expect journalists to be unbiased, and they do their best. But they all have—they were all fans of this sport before they became reporters. They all went to college somewhere. They all have a team they grew up cheering for. I guarantee you. But all of that comes into play, whether they mean for it to or not, and so you get this conglomeration of a vote. The college football playoff is different. The college football playoff is a committee that sits down together and decides their ranking. They have a cohesive... Cohesive is probably a bad word for it because I'm sure they have some dissension and some disagreement, but they have they work together to come up with a methodology for how they are going to rank these teams and what's going to be the deciding factors between two teams or four teams or eight teams, whatever. Um, so it, it's important. It, it's at least, that's why it's noteworthy when we get these first college football rankings because we see how this committee, every year the committee changes just a little bit. Every couple of years the committee changes just a little bit. Um, they have more data to work with. They've seen different things. They've seen different games. The game has changed. The landscape has changed. The conferences have changed. So it's, it's good to get this first ranking and see what they have to say. Long-winded way to get here, but let's go through these playoff rankings. The thing that jumps at you off the rip is Ohio State at number one, then Georgia two, Michigan three, Florida State four, Washington five, Oregon six. That tells us a lot that the committee agrees with the traditional polls that Oregon even after the loss to Washington, is very much in the mix for a playoff spot. Um, they're in the, when they announce the polls, they announce one through four, and then they announce five and six for a reason. Um, they, they, they highlight five and six for a reason. The teams they have in those spots are teams they very much view as potential playoff spots. Those are the first two out. Those are the ones that if Florida State loses, that's one of the teams that's going to get in. Or if Michigan loses, that's one of the teams that's going to get in. Seven is Texas, eight is Alabama, nine is Oklahoma, ten is Ole Miss, and then Penn State, Missouri, Louisville, LSU, Notre Dame, Oregon State, Tennessee, Utah, UCLA, USC, Kansas, Oklahoma State, Kansas State, Tulane, and Air Force round out the top 25. Um, so that means that as of now, Tulane has the edge over Air Force as being the, um, would be the group of five representative in the uh, New Year's Six Bowl games. Now, I said at the top that Ohio State being at number one over Georgia is noteworthy. I will say this. The committee, I think, does an excellent job of getting the right four teams in at the end of the season. I'm sure I've complained about it some, but most of the time, I agree with the four teams they put in. Now, I might not always agree with the seeding. And every once in a while, there'll be a number five or a number six that I think should have gotten in over number four. But one of the times I thought that was 2017. I did not think Alabama should have gotten in without making the SEC championship game. Not only did they prove themselves to be worthy of a top four spot, they won the whole title that year. Now, you could make the case that, um, and I have made this case, that letting them in in 2017 in those circumstances and then letting them hear people like me but with bigger platforms say this team doesn't belong here, this team shouldn't be here was unfair to uh, Clemson and then Georgia. Um, but that's neither here nor there. They got in and they won the title. But I say all that to say that 
usually the I feel like the committee does a good job of getting the right four teams in. Now, there are people who would say that um, the committee fails because they don't get the best four teams in. I have always said that the um, the goal should never be to get the best four teams in. And the reason that's the case is because best four in college football, um, more than any other sport except, you know, college basketball, college baseball, you can make the same case. College athletics more so than co- college or than pro- professional sports. And and really college, college basketball more than any other college sports. There's just too much variation, right? Um, you know, you look at these top four. Sure, right now, obviously, Ohio State and Michigan are going to play each other. But Ohio State and Georgia have nothing in common on their schedule. Florida State and Washington have little to nothing in common on their schedule. Sure, you're going to have a Florida State is going to have some crossover with Alabama because Florida State played LSU. Alabama is going to play LSU. Georgia will either play Alabama or LSU, so there's some correlation there. Uh, If Texas is in the mix, they played Alabama. So you've got some of that, but very rarely do we have two teams um, end up at the end of the year that played each other and that we have any sort of correlation to know that Washington being 8-0 in the Pac-12 is how that compares to Florida State being 8-0 in the ACC with the non-conference wins over, or the non-conference win over LSU, and eventually possibly 12-0 with a win over Florida. We don't know how those things compare. We think we know. And if you ask people in various parts of the country, if you ask people down here, they will tell you that uh, the SEC is the best conference. And being 12-0 in the ACC and even 11-1 or even 10-2 in the SEC is better than being undefeated in the Big Ten or the Big 12. Um, and people in the Big Ten would tell you that when you play that big boy football they play up there, being 11-1 in the Big Ten, is, is well, that's better than being 11-1 against the, um, or, or that's better than being 12-0 in the Big 12, and so on and so forth. But the reality is, we don't know. We don't know which of those teams is the best. So they sh- we shouldn't be trying to determine the four best. We should be trying to determine the right four or the four most deserving. Um, you know, I can make the case that um, this year the Chicago Cubs were better than some of the playoff teams. Or I could make the case that maybe, um, I'm trying to think of some other teams that missed the playoffs, that maybe Cincinnati was better than some of the teams that got in the Major League Baseball playoffs. But the reality is none of that matters because there was a criteria set out before the season that uh, dictated that the Cubs didn't make the playoffs, right? Um, and this is one, one of the reasons, and I've said it before, that I love the concept of a 12-team playoff because five or six of those spots will be prescribed that if you are one of the champions of these conferences, as long as you're not, because I do think they're going to set in a modified auto, auto bid, as long as you're not one of these wacky champions that goes 7-5 and five in the regular season, sneaks into the conference championship and has one great game, you might not get in the playoffs, you, or you might not be guaranteed to get in the playoffs. But if you handle business, if you're somewhere between 10-0 and 0, or 10-2 and 2 and 12-0, and 0, you're going to get in the playoffs because you're going to be one of the top five conference champions. It's one of the reasons I like it. 
But for now, we we have four playoff spots and five major conferences and ten total conferences plus some mid-major or some uh, not mid-majors, some independents like Notre Dame that are always going to get consideration. When you have all that factoring in, picking the four best is a fool's errand. We should be aiming for the right four, the most deserving four, and so far I feel like the committee has mostly done that. Um, but what they've also done is they, they're very serious about that last poll. And, and as the thing goes along, they get more and more serious about the poll. But what they seem to love doing, and I, I know this is not the first time I've talked about this here, they seem to love to give talking points, to give some, uh, put some juicy tidbits in these early polls. If you'll remember, Mississippi State was number one in the first playoff poll in 2014 and there were I think it was three AC SEC teams I think it was Mississippi State Alabama and Ole Miss were all in the top four knowing that they're all it might have been Auburn was the third one I know it was Mississippi State and Alabama but um knowing that all of those teams were going to play each other and it was going to sort itself out it just was good for talking points and we see that I feel like every year the first one there's always something that's like, whoa what's so-and-so doing up there why isn't so-and-so number one and sure, Ohio State has better wins than Georgia right now. Um, they haven't looked as dominant as Georgia has. Even as Georgia has struggled in a couple of games, Georgia's been very dominant against some pretty good teams. Um, but Ohio State has better wins. Uh, they have the win over Notre Dame that's sitting at 15. They have a win over Penn State, a very impressive win, I thought, over Penn State that's sitting at number 11. Georgia doesn't have that yet. So, this is the perfect opportunity if you're this committee. And the committee also, they love doing stuff like this, but when they're going to get a chance to correct it. And they'll have that because Georgia, in the next three weeks, plays Missouri, which is number 12 in the committee's poll, Ole Miss, which is number 10 in the committee's poll, 17, or Tennessee, which is number 17 in the committee's poll. That's their next three games. Ohio State does close out with Michigan. But their next three game are Rutgers, who is a surprising 6-2. and two. Uh, Michigan State and Minnesota. So, the committee knows that if Georgia, either Georgia's going to lose to Missouri, which is still possible. I think Missouri's a very good team. I think they're surprising a lot of people with how good they've been. Georgia's either going to lose to Missouri, or they're about to pick up a win over the number 12 team in the country. And if they do it impressively enough... You know, if they were to go out there and beat Missouri the way they did Florida or worse, they can flop them right then. Because there's a chance Ohio State's not going to beat Rutgers as as badly as Georgia will beat Missouri. That could happen because of the style of play that Ohio State plays this year. They're very, uh, their defense is good. They're not scoring a whole ton of points right now. It's possible that they won't beat Rutgers that badly. That they won't cover the spread. Spread I think is 18 and a half. You know, if they don't cover that spread. You know, let's say they win by 15, um, and Georgia beats Missouri um, by 18. Well, here you go. Now, all of a sudden, uh, Georgia covers the spread against a better team, and they just flop them. And even if the results, even if they don't do it then, the next week, let's say Georgia beats Ole Miss by any margin, because I think the gap to me, the, the ability gap between Number 10 and 11, Ole Miss and Penn State. And number 12 and 13, Missouri and Louisville is sizable. They have the same record. They're very similar in the rankings. I think Ole Miss and Penn State are teams that um, 
could handle business the rest of the way. I mean, Penn State would still have to beat Michigan, and that's a tall task uh, in and of itself next Saturday on the 11th. But those are both teams that could win out and potentially be playoff contenders for the rest of the season. I don't think Missouri and Louisville are that. Um, Penn State and Ole Miss have losses to teams ahead of them. Missouri and Louisville have losses to teams that are currently behind them in the polls. So uh, right now, uh, there's a huge gap between Ole Miss and Missouri. So if Georgia steps up and beats Ole Miss the next Saturday, well, now they're they're all of a sudden, they're right there in the mix. Um, that's a chance for the committee. That's another chance for the committee to flop Georgia and Ohio State. So they've given that juice. That hey, let's talk about these polls. Let's everybody's going to talk about oh, Ohio State over Georgia. Is that did the committee get it right? That gives everybody a chance to talk about it and keep the committee's names in their mouth. And then they've got plenty of time and and plenty of opportunity to flop them. If these were reversed. And somehow Ohio State had the tougher schedule down the stretch than Georgia did, and you know if Georgia's schedule had worked out to where they played a couple of better teams earlier, and it wasn't obvious that they were going to have a chance to flop them, there's no chance Georgia would have been number two. But the committee saw the opportunity to just create some conversation, create some controversy and some hype, and I really don't have a problem with that. The first year I was baffled that they would do that. But then as the, as the years have gone on, and I've seen the way they do this, and in the last decade, we've seen that what they do is they uh, they do a true right now. Right now, Georgia and Ohio State are not conference champions. No one is a conference champion. We just have to compare their resume. And what we have is that Ohio State has played better teams than Georgia. We don't have that, you know, any of this, any of the rest of the data. We just have who they've played so far. And Ohio State has better wins than Georgia has, so Ohio State's number one. So I don't have a problem with the way the poll sits. Um, and if you're Georgia, you have to love it. Because now Georgia, Kirby Smart can do what good college coaches do better than anybody else in the country. And they can walk in and say, they don't believe in you. We've won two national championships. We haven't, we've lost one game. We haven't lost a regular season game since 2020. We've only lost, lost one game, period. A lot of y'all who are starting have never seen us lose a regular season game. And yet here we are. We're number two. They don't believe in us. And he gets to, coming into his toughest stretch of the season, he get, has all kinds of, of fuel for the fire. So if you're a Georgia fan, you got to love this. I, I actually, I don't have a problem with the way the committee does. I think it's fun. Um, the more and more I think about it. Now, if you've talked to me in previous years, you're probably surprised by that because I was pretty miffed with the way the committee did it. But the more I've seen it, they always seem to fix it. They, they find ways to tweak it, so I don't have a problem with it. But let's take a quick break, and then we'll get into the stuff that we normally do. Then we'll get into some scores from last week and spin it ahead to next week. All right, this is probably going to be a little bit longer episode because there was the first committee poll to break down. I had a lot of stuff to talk about there. So let's just jump into some scores from last Saturday, October 28th. I watched a little bit of football. I had some yard work to do. I was getting ready for this weekend. I'm running a half marathon. So I had some yard work that needed to get done on Saturday, and then we were going to hang out at a friend's house for the uh, Georgia-Florida game. So I did not watch a lot of the noon slot. But Oklahoma, they did it. They goofed. They did the thing that you can't do when you're an Oklahoma team that's trying to build your way back up to being a playoff contender. They they dropped the ball and lost to a, a good Kansas team 
but not a Kansas team that Oklahoma should be losing to. Um, Kansas, of course, got out to a 14-0 lead. At halftime, it looked like Oklahoma had corrected it. It was 21-17. to um, After a, a, f- a field goal with uh, 50 seconds to go in the first half by uh, Kansas, Seth Keller. And then the second half was pretty much all Kansas, or, or, or mostly Kansas. They, they won the second half uh, 21-12. Um, came out in the fourth or in the third quarter with a ten unanswered or nine unanswered points to, to go up 26-21 and just closed it out. Uh, Dylan Gabriel had you know this a lot of for a lot of college football teams the way the quarterback goes that's the way the game goes. And Gabriel he did have a great day running the ball 14 of 64 for th- with 14 uh, carries for 64 yards and three touchdowns. But passing 14-19 for 171 yards and an interception. Um, offensively, Kansas didn't have a spectacular game. Uh, they only, you know, they, they have very balanced. They got a lot of yards, but um, nobody had an incredible game. They, they did spread the ball around very well. Jason Bean, the quarterback, was only 15 of 32, 218 yards, two picks. Um, Daniel Hashaw Jr. had two uh, rushing touchdowns, 12 carries, 51 yards, two uh, touchdowns. It was odd. Only three players carried the ball. Uh, Jason Bean, the the quarterback, four carries, 62 yards, and a touchdown. Devin Neal led the rushing a- attack with 24 carries, 25 carries, and 112 yards and a touchdown. But that that's that's a backbreaker for Oklahoma um, because now they don't have the luxury of being able to. Because before, it, I don't think it would happen. But the door was always open that they go undefeated, go 12 and 0. Texas is 11 and 1. There's always the possibility, that depending on the way the rest of these conferences shake out, that both Texas and Oklahoma would at least feel like they have a shot to get in the playoffs if Texas wins. Similar to the um, what we saw with Clemson and Notre Dame in the 2020 season. Um, I think that's the only time it's happened that way, where both teams got in from a conference championship game. Am I right about Well, I mean, Alabama and... and Georgia did, but they didn't play twice the way Clemson and Notre Dame did. So um, they they just played the once. But that's out the window now. Oklahoma has to win it. I still think that if Oklahoma or uh, let's let's peek at the rankings, make sure I'm not missing anybody. If Oklahoma or Texas, I think they're the only one loss teams. Yeah, in in the Big Twelve, if one of them has one loss and wins the conference championship, they still have a chance. But the, the chance for both of them to get in is now completely out the window. If it wasn't already, you'd probably make the case that it was. Penn State struggled with Iowa. They do pull out the 33-24 win. Georgia looked impressive over Florida. Um, at one point, the where we were lost reception for like 10 seconds, 30 seconds, maybe a couple of minutes, and Georgia scored like 400 points in that stretch. Um, it was it was. 10 to 7 and the next thing you know it was 24 to 7 the ball game was pretty much over. Georgia had a 36 to 7 lead uh, after a Dylan Bell pass from Carson Beck late in the third quarter. Florida, you know, made it look like a game in the fourth, but Georgia absolutely dominated this game. Uh, Carson Beck continues to impress. We kind of have to consider him for Heisman consideration at some point. I'll I'll circle back around in a couple of weeks and and we'll talk about Kind of some of our Heisman hopefuls. Maybe next week, depending on how this weekend goes. If this weekend isn't too crazy and there's not a lot to talk about in terms of the shakeup in the poll, maybe we'll go back and look at some of our Heisman contenders and kind of touch base on that. But 
19 to 28, 315 yards, two touchdowns on Saturday. That brings him to this season, he's 191 of 263. That's a 73% completion percentage. Um, 24, a little over 20, 2,462 yards, 14 touchdowns, four interceptions. That's not bad, folks. That's not bad for an offense that that's in passing game that folks have been complaining about all year. Georgia fans have been complaining about. Uh, Dejan Edwards continues to be the bell cow. 15 carries, 96 yards, two touchdowns. Kendall Milton did get some work. 13 carries, 55 yards, and a touchdown. A lot of his production was late. Dejan Edwards continues to be the bell cow, and, and it's good to see. Good to see Lad McConkey back for the dogs. Six catches, 135 yards, and a touchdown. Uh, by far their leading receiver. Like we said, Dylan Bell also had a touchdown. Um, so there we go. Georgia looks really good. Texas, 35-6 to over BYU. This was a game that could have been tricky, and it really wasn't. Texas went out to a 14-7 to lead, led 21-3 to at the half. It was never close. Um, the close, it was, I guess, uh, BYU cut it, you know, five minutes to go in the second quarter. They scored a field goal, make it 14-3. to A couple minutes later, uh, A.D. Mitchell finds the end zone like he does seemingly uh, every time he touches the ball and, and made it 21-3 going into half. Uh, Texas closes out 35-6. to uh, Good, decent bounce back. Well, Malik, uh, excuse me. I knew Quinn Ewers didn't play in this game. Malik Murphy subbing in for um, Quinn Ewers. Did what he had to do. 16-25 uh, for 170 yards, two touchdowns, and a pick. Uh, Jonathan Brooks continues to be impressive. 16 carries, 98 yards, and a touchdown. Uh, A.D. Mitchell did have both of Murphy's touchdown passes. So, good clean game for Texas. Uh, they limited BYU's offense to um, 292 yards. Uh, 95 yards rushing the ball. So, just a good solid game from Texas. They did what they had to do. <coughs> Excuse me. Oregon gets the big win over Utah, 35-6. to um, This was, was a big game for them. Still no Cam Rising for Utah. That Cam Rising watch has, has reached its peak. Oregon, um, Bo Nix, 24 of 31 for 248 yards, two touchdowns. Also ran the ball four times for eight yards and a touchdown. Bucky Irving, 14 carries, 83 yards and a touchdown. Troy, Flank, Troy Franklin, eight catches, 99 yards. And a touchdown. Uh, Bryson Barnes threw two picks for um, Utah. And, and Oregon continues to be impressive. They continue to hang around. Uh, limited Utah to 241 yards of offense. Um, so, big win for Oregon. They stay in the hunt. Notre Dame beats the brakes off a of pit 58-7. to Louisville continues to stay strong and to stay right on the fringe of contention. 23-0 uh, over Duke. Obviously, Louisville had the big setback loss a couple weeks ago to Pitt. Um, just a brutal loss for Louisville. But they got Virginia Tech, Virginia, Miami, Kentucky. They can stay in the ACC title hunt. Um, we, I'm not going to get into that this week, but they're still in it. They're still in the hunt for the ACC championship game. Uh, Tulane beats Rice 30-28. Southern Cal staves off absolute disaster and manages to eke out a 50-49 to 49 win. Cal went for two and the win. Um, Southern Cal, that would be, gosh, that would be three losses in a row, right? 
mean, it would have been three losses, but yeah, they, they lost Notre Dame, lost to Utah. Losing to Cal would have just been a real backbreaker. Uh, Caleb Williams, he'd get back on track. You know, he, he the, we talked about it. Uh, games like he had against Notre Dame are how you, how you fail to win a Heisman. I won't say lose the Heisman because that implies it was his to... It was, and it was already his. It wasn't. But that's how you fail to defend a Heisman or fail to win a Heisman is games like that. But for his own confidence, he, he kind of got back on the horse. 23 of 40 for 369 passing yards, two touchdowns, zero interceptions. Also had two touchdowns running the ball. Marshawn Lloyd, 17 carries, 115 yards, two touchdowns. Uh, leading receiver was Taj Washington, five catches, 102 yards. Touchdowns for Brendan Rice and Austin Jones. Um, Washington holds on against Stanford, who is sometimes tough, despite being two and six. Uh, Michael Penix Jr. twenty-one of thirty-seven, three hundred and sixty-nine yards, four touchdowns, one interception. He continues to be in the Heisman race. Uh, Tennessee holds on and beats Kentucky, thirty-three twenty-seven. Ohio State toughs out a twenty-four to ten win over Wisconsin. Ole Miss beats Vanderbilt. UCLA beats Colorado, uh, twenty-eight to sixteen. Um, they sacked Shador Sanders seven times. I really thought this was a game that, that Colorado had a chance to win. And now Colorado's left. You know, this is a team we've talked about a lot on here. They're left wondering if they're going to be able to make a bowl. They're 4-4. Four and four. They have Oregon State, a tough Arizona team, a tough Washington State team that's hit some hard times. And then Utah to close out the season. Conceivably, they could not win another game and go from starting out 3 and 0 to fin- to losing 8 of their last 9 games. Um and again, this is something we always saw coming. That the Pac-12 was really really tough without Colorado being good. When we thought Colorado was a bad team, we thought the Pac-12 was really really good. That doesn't change when Colorado is a little bit better than we thought they were or even a lot better than we thought than we thought they were. The Pac-12 is still tough even without them. So, um, this is not an indictment on Dion. It's just proof of what a lot of us, including Dion, knew that he needed some more horses. Now, um, I don't know that just outright saying in a press conference that you need more offensive linemen is um, the right choice. You know, you, you still have those current offensive linemen in your locker room, and you need those young men to believe in you. But you also need young men who are looking at your program to know that when you tell them you believe in them and when you choose them, that you really believe in them. And that's not the message you send with that. And and it's not gonna, some recruits are going to be fine, but it's going to hurt you with other recruits. There are going to be other recruits that will be like, listen, I don't I – don't, I don't need to have a bad game and then have my coach tell everybody I had a bad game. Now, if it was a matter of these guys weren't trying hard enough, that's different. But when you're just, they know they're not good. They know they're the weak link. They know Shador Sanders gets sacked four times more than any other uh, top passer in the country. They know that. Tell them that in private. It doesn't do any, especially when your answer is, I'm going to replace you. Tell them that in private. Or don't say it at all. Just do it. I, I don't know. I, that didn't sit well with me. Um, so, but we move on. Um, Georgia Tech beats North Carolina. North Carolina, just a couple weeks ago, just two weeks ago, North Carolina, I was talking about the potential for 
North Carolina and Florida State to get all the way to the ACC championship game, both undefeated, and that and how likely that was. Now, after losing to Georgia Tech, who isn't a good team, but is currently ahead of North Carolina in the ACC standings at three and two, um, and then Virginia, whose only ACC win is over North Carolina. Now, North Carolina is left. Soul searching is is what that that's where they have to be right because sure they've got Campbell but then they've got Duke Clemson and NC State and if you can't beat Georgia Tech and Virginia can you beat any of those teams you can probably beat Clemson I'm going to talk about Clemson in a little bit if you've been waiting to hear what I have to say about the Clemson football program I'm gonna I decided I'm gonna save that for the end I'm gonna let everybody who who doesn't want to hear me talk about Clemson. I'm gonna give them everything else, and then I'm gonna talk to, about Clemson at the end. Be kind of like you know when you get the, the the Patreon special from other uh, podcasts. If you stick around to the end, you'll get my Clemson rant. Um, but they lose to Georgia Tech. North Carolina does. Um, Old Dominion loses to James Madison. Beats Old Dominion, and then Oregon State falls to Arizona. This is one that I thought was. I thought this had the potential to happen. Even though Oregon State was the number 11 team in the country um, and Arizona's not, you know, didn't have a good record. They were 4 and 3 coming in. If you broke down or five, if you break down Arizona's record, it was easy to see that this was possible. And Arizona pulls off the 27-24 win. Um just a phenomenal performance for them to, to pick up the big win over Oregon State. This is kind of a season changer for them. Uh, you need a couple of these to, you know, when, when you're when you playing in a conference that has seven or eight really good teams or seven or eight ranked teams, and you're not one of them, you have to hang on a win like this to go, we're seven and five, but we beat Oregon State. Because um, they're five and three now. They still have to play UCLA. They still have to play Utah. Um, so so that could be two more losses. So they could easily be seven and five, and that's if they can beat Colorado and Arizona State. So it's it's still a very difficult schedule. They're, they're gonna be, you know, pushing to be seven and five. But if they can be seven and five with a win over Oregon State and all those close games against the really good school really good programs, that's a good year for Arizona. So good win for them. You know, kind of expected for Oregon State. You know, they, they're they a nice story, but I don't think anybody really thought that they would be a team that was going to be pushing for top 10. Uh, DJ Wungale did not have a bad game. 16-30, 218 yards, two touchdowns. Took care of the ball, ran the ball six times for 10 yards. Noah Fafita, he's been fun to watch. 25-32, of 32, 275 yards, three touchdowns. Teteroa McMillan, eight catches, 80 yards, and a touchdown. Michael Wiley, five catches, 58 yards, two touchdowns. Big win for Arizona. And that wraps up our big big games for Week 9. Now, spinning it forward to Week 10. Ohio State Rutgers is sneaky good. Rutgers is 6-2. Now, they're 3-2 in the conference. Have they beaten a lot of good teams? No. Um, their wins are currently Northwestern, who isn't any good. Temple who isn't any good. Virginia Tech, which is somehow still in the ACC hunt, so maybe they're okay. Uh, they beat Wagner or Wagner. I don't know how we're going to pronounce that. They beat Michigan State and they beat Indiana. So nothing to write home about, but they're at home at noon on CBS against Ohio State. They're in a big-time televised game against Ohio State on CBS. This is their Super Bowl. This is their this is their bowl game. 
Maybe they'll make an actual bowl game. Who knows? But this is the game that, that they're going to hang their hat on. Um, so that's at noon. The other big, big noon game is big noon kickoff on Fox, Kansas State, Texas. Uh, this is just another game that Texas, it's a worthy opponent. Kansas State went a, had a little rough stretch. They're turning things around now. Um, let's see, I think they lost back-to-back games. It was two out of three. They lost to Missouri on the September 16th, and then they lost to Oklahoma State on um, October 6th with a win over UCF sandwiched in between. But they've bounced back. They beat uh, Texas Tech, emphatically beat TCU in a game that I thought TCU could maybe sneak them up. Didn't happen. And then they they shut out Houston 41 to nothing. Uh, so they're 82 and three, 82 to three winning margins in their last two conference games. So they come in red hot against Texas. Good worthy opponent for Texas. Um, I believe they'll have Quinn Ewers back this week. Um, Texas is a th- four-point favorite, so there's that. Uh, Texas A&M and Ole Miss. Ole Miss just needs to win. They, they've got a chance to win the SEC West. Their work is done as far as the the big three-way tie that we're kind of eyeballing at the top of that division. But uh, they still have to win all their other games to stay in that tie. Um. Then Notre Dame-Clemson. Let's go ahead and talk about Clemson now, folks. Um, I am not somebody who thinks that that Clemson's got to fire Dabo Swinney. I'm not going to tell you. Now, I I do not like the way his remarks have come off. Um, I I feel like the fan that he went off on this week had it coming. But the, the, the the confidence bordering on hubris that I talk about that, that these college coaches need to succeed is is teetering more towards hubris with Dabo in some cases. Um, and I don't, like I said, I'm not somebody who's going to sit here and tell you that I think Dabo should get fired. That's not what I'm, that's not how I feel, that's not what I'm saying. But I cannot think of another program that got anywhere close to the height Clemson got, fell down to the point where they're four and four right now, and there's not a for sure win left on their schedule. They've got Notre Dame on Saturday. Notre Dame's a three point favorite. I don't see Clemson winning this game. I don't think they have the ability to score enough on Notre Dame to win this game. Now, I think the Clemson defense can keep Notre Dame from running away with it, and I think that's why Notre Dame's only a three-point favorite. But I don't think Clemson has the scoring to be able to beat Notre Dame. Then they got Georgia Tech, who has played well against the teams that are supposed to be better than them. Then they've got North Carolina, which they beat last year in the ACC championship game. North Carolina, we just talked about their struggles. But if North Carolina's offense gets clicking, Clemson can't score with them. And then they close out the year against South Carolina, who's 2-6. and six, An absolute dumpster fire, but South Carolina wasn't very good last year when they beat Clemson. So, none of these games are for sure wins with the way this Clemson offense has performed at times this year. They put up a stat during Saturday's game. I didn't watch much of it, but they put up a stat that Clemson is number two in the country in red zone trips. They get to the red zone as an offense, second most in the country 
and they're like 120th in red zone scoring. That's coaching, folks. That is dialing up the wrong plays. There's really nothing. There's really no other way to put it, uh, because when the offense has room, when the when the playmakers have room to make plays, they're fine. But when it gets in tight and you have to dial up the right play and you have to make the right choices, they're not getting it done. That, that's coaching and it's it's that's offensive line too. Um, but like you know what we saw against Miami when they haven't been able to run the ball up the middle all game and the play you call on fourth and goal with the game on the line is a run up the middle something that hasn't worked all night. You know I can kind of see why Cade Klubnick pulled that ball and tried to run around the end instead of giving the ball. Will Shipley because he saw what the rest of us saw that that wasn't going to work. So, but anyway, my point that I was originally making is that we have not seen a program get up to where Clemson was winning and competing for national championships every year from 2015 to 2020. We've not seen a team get to the, anywhere close to that level, fall to the point where they might end the season 5-7. and seven. Might end at four and eight, but five and seven, I would be giddy with a six and six finish at this point. If they could just beat Georgia Tech and South Carolina, even if they lose to Notre Dame and North Carolina, I'd take it at this point. Not a lot of programs have gotten to that peak, fallen to that valley, and bounced back again without making a change at coach. It just hasn't happened. And I'm not saying that a coach could not do that. But usually it doesn't work out because this isn't like the NFL where you can just, okay, well, we're bad. We'll go draft better players. Those better players have to choose to play for you. And I'm not sure what the pitch for Clemson football is right now because it kind of looks like Dabo found coordinators that he could work with to win and win at a high level for you know about a decade and a really high level for six or seven years. Those guys left, and now he can't do it anymore. That's what it looks like to me. Um, because the defense is good. The defense is fine. I think the defense gave up like 180 yards on Saturday or something. The offense is horrendous. And the offense is the side of the ball that it feels like the last couple coordinators, the offense just keeps looking the same. They keep changing coordinators, and the offense keeps looking the same. So... I'm not calling for Dabo's job, but what I am saying is the reality is if Clemson were to turn this around, it would maybe be the first time in the modern era that we've seen a team have that precipitous of a fall-off and bring it back with the same coach. That's that's kind of where I am with it. Um, and and I, I just don't know what your pitch is to recruits right now. What do you tell a recruit? Hey, you should come to Clemson because... Yeah, uh, we get to run down a hill. We were really good one time. A couple years, few years. Um, but right now we're not any good, and, and we're, we're, we're not going to go in the, the transfer portal because our coach doesn't like it, even though we're woefully, woefully under-talented at a couple of pretty key positions. Um, and no matter what we do at coordinator and no matter how talented the quarterback is, our offense continues to struggle unless we have one or two particular offensive coordinators. So I, I don't know how you fix it. I don't know how you get better without making a coaching change. Um, so that's my rant about Clemson. 
we'll, we'll get back to the schedule. Again, this is going to be a little bit longer episode. Uh, Tennessee has Connecticut. Utah has Arizona State. Air Force has Army. Uh, all of those games are on various channels. You can find them. Um, 3.30 CBS. UGA hosting Missouri. This is a big game for Missouri. It's a big game for Georgia, too. This is where the rubber hits the road. The, Missouri had a chance to prove themselves against LSU. They proved they could score, but they did not prove that they could hang with Georgia. Um, some common opponents here recently. Um, Kentucky, Georgia beat them 51-13. to Missouri beat them 38-21. Uh, and, and a lot of this, it kind of seems like there, there's a talent imbalance. Georgia is the better team, but... Without Brock Bowers, if Missouri can start out hot, they can stay in this one. I, I think Georgia is going to cover the 15.5 probably, but barely. I don't think this is going to be one of those games like we've seen where Georgia's like a 12-point favorite over Arkansas and ends up beating them by 30. I think this is one that Georgia probably wins 35-20 to 20 or something like that. That isn't actually covering. I can't do math. So let's say 37-20, to 20, something like that. Um, FSU has Pitt. 3.30 on ESPN. Oklahoma has Oklahoma State. 3.30 on ABC. Penn State at Maryland. 3.30 on Fox. Virginia Tech, Louisville, kind of deciding which of those teams is going to stay. Virginia Tech is 4-4. Four and four, Louisville is 7-1. and one, And because of the way the ACC works out this year, pretty sure they're tied for a spot in the conference standings. Yep. Uh, Louisville is 4-1. and one. They're technically half a game ahead of Virginia Tech, who is 3-1. Those are the two teams... Virginia Tech and Louisville are the two teams. Winner of this game will be sitting in second place, lined up for a shot at Florida State in the ACC championship game. So that's fun. Tulane is at ECU. Cal is at Oregon. Kansas at Iowa State. Purdue at Michigan. Big games in that 730 slot. CBS has a triple header this week, by the way. But Washington at Southern Cal. Southern Cal has nothing to play for but pride. That would scare the crap out of me if I was Washington. Um, Southern Cal playing loose in this game. That coaching staff getting a chance to tell uh, Caleb Williams and those receivers and Marshawn Lloyd and that defense. Fellas, you've got nothing to play with. Play for. 10-2 and two and third or fourth in this conference versus 9-3 and three and fourth or fifth in this conference. No difference. Go out there and play play your butts off. That is a very talented team. That would scare the crap out of me that they're getting a chance at home to play like that. Washington defense is going to be put up to a test. Washington is a three-point favorite. I'm really interested in this game Saturday night. My thumb's going to be getting a workout because 745, I mean, again, this is Michael Penix Jr.'s chance to win the Heisman, Okay. Uh, he's kind of the, the front runner right now, but if he can go out there against Southern Cal, against Caleb Williams is still the defending Heisman winner. And if I had a bet, I think Caleb Williams is going to have a huge game Saturday night. If Michael Penix Jr. can outduel him and win that game in Los Angeles, he can get one hand around that Heisman trophy. Um, LSU Alabama, uh, another Heisman contender, Jaden Daniels. Uh, just depending on him, your your thumb's got to get a workout because Jaden Daniels, if he can go against that what is proven to be a pretty stout Alabama defense and upset Alabama, Alabama is a three-point favorite, even though all of us for most of the season have thought LSU was the more talented team, 
Alabama's a three-point favorite in Tuscaloosa. And Jaden Daniels has a chance to beat Alabama in back-to-back years, this time doing it in Tuscaloosa. I think LSU gets the job done. I think they're the better team. But we'll see. Alabama seems to have found something with that offense. Um, We talked about that a little bit last week. Wrapping up the night, Pac-12 after dark, you got Oregon State at Colorado, uh, and then UCLA at Arizona. So a couple of big games in that 7.30 window. A couple of interesting games early at noon. 3.30, other than Missouri-Georgia, is is kind of a more of a restful period. That's when you can run your errands uh, if you're not a Georgia fan or if you're not a Missouri fan. Um... But other than that, pretty good day of football. We're really getting into the nitty-gritty. Well, folks, uh, like I said, this was a little bit longer episode. I hope you've stuck with me. I hope you didn't mind me ranting about Clemson for a little bit. Um, if you would do me do me a favor, uh, follow me on Twitter at JTIMM684, or if you're friends with me on Facebook, I've recently posted a link to a St. Jude fundraiser I'm doing. I'm doing 1,000 push-ups this month. I did 40 today on the first day of November. It breaks out to about 33 a day. Um looking to raise money for St. Jude's uh, Children's Research Hospital. You know, if, if you know anything about St. Jude, it's a wonderful organization. Um, so donate. Find that donation link. Every little bit counts. I'm just looking to raise $250. So do the math. If 50 of you will give $5, 50 total people give $5, 25 people giving $10, so on and so forth, 10 people giving $25, uh, we can get this, this fundraiser off the ground and we can really help a worthwhile organization. Uh, so find me, again, find me on Twitter. You can find that link at JTIMM684, and I appreciate every dollar. So that's all I've got for today, folks. I uh, hope you guys have a great week, a great rest of the week, great weekend, and we'll do it again next week. Mm-hmm.